Welcome to What the If. Philip Shane and Matt Stanley here. I am a documentary filmmaker and you are a... a tired person. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm not busy being tired, I'm a historian of science and a professor at NYU. So the history, the amount of history is starting to bog you down. To wear on me. It turns out there's a lot of it, right? <laughs> Every time you think you've got it mastered, you go back one more year and there's more. <laughs> <laughs> or just when you've caught up, another year passes and now you have to add to it. Yeah, they make some new history for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What is this? I, I like to call it a game show. What do you? Yeah, have? because it's a show with a game. Yeah. Oh. Ah. Right. Uh, and the game is we uh, we imagine that something is different and something sometimes that's will, you know, will turn off gravity or imagine a world where humans had no feet um, or uh, go back in time and kill Charlemagne or something um, and see how the world would be different uh, if we change that. So we call that our if. Right. right. All right. I'm making a note here. Go, what if we go back and kill Charlemagne A? <laughs> I don't know who Char Charlemagne is, and in fact, that is uh, that's another aspect of this. We um, we learn real things through these imaginary scenarios. Yeah, which is a pretty cool thing when you think about it, right? That by letting your imagination go wild, you can actually learn real things about reality too. Yeah, your, your imagination is good for all sorts of things. We had uh, the great theoretical physicist and science communicator Sean Carroll on recently. He had a great way of putting it. He says, it's great to come on and let your hair down. Yeah, that's right. Um, that, I should say that metaphor would be slightly ironic if our listeners could see the two of us right now. Right. We both have pretty crazy hair that that's right. definitely does not behave. My hair doesn't go down so much as uh, expand into four dimensions at least. Yeah. That's right. I have to tie my back. Otherwise, we, otherwise we get what we call the Stanley sunflower in my family, <laughs> where my hair just expands in yeah. all directions. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah, and and we've there's certain genres we've sort of discovered, certain types of different different kinds of shows. Somewhere we go on a journey. Somewhere we have tweaked some fundamental constant in the universe, and imagine well, what happens then, uh, or we turn off gravity. There are others. We call our Fantastic Voyage episodes. Yeah. And for those who don't know, what was Fantastic Voyage was a, a movie. And oh, Fantastic, Vo Fantastic Voyage was both a, a movie and a novel uh, from the golden age of sci-fi, one of Isaac Asimov's greatest ones, where he imagines a uh, group of scientists get shrunk down with their spaceship um, and go inside a living body. And they, they explore the body and they have to do some task. And it's a lot of fun. And then it was made into a uh, fairly cheesy movie um, some years after. Yeah. yeah. And yet, yet quite, uh, it, it's just simply taking on any of those things where you change perspective radically, I, I enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the physicist uh, Richard Feynman talked about how his father would play a game with him where they, they imagined being different perspectives. Like, uh, yeah. What if you were super, super tiny and a truck was gigantic and rolling towards you? Gives you a whole new view on, on the world. And so uh, today, a big, big story that's happening in the news is Google has announced 
that they have achieved quantum supremacy. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like a supreme burrito, but uh, more quantum. How so? <laughs> well, you know, it's got sour cream and guacamole and things. Yeah, so quantum supremacy is the, sort of a, a technical term, which will sound kind of disappointing after I explain it. So we've got these new things that we call quantum computers, and we've been working on them for a little while. But as is often the case with a new thing, it's not quite clear why it's better than the old thing. Right? So quantum supremacy is the, the term used for, <laughs> for when we finally demonstrate that quantum computing could be better at something than regular computing. And it, but it could be better at something we don't know that we want. Well, no, it's you have to you have to figure out what you're looking for ahead of time. But it's um, demonstrating that demonstrating that it's better at anything. Oh, okay, right? interesting. So it's right. like we've been riding a horse for ten thousand years, and horses are really good at doing everything we need them to. Right? We can ride them from place to place. They can pull our plow. They can trample your neighbors. And then somebody invents uh, an automobile. Uh huh. And for a while, the automobile is not better at anything than the horse. It, it can't go as far. It can't go as fast. Your neighbor can jump out of the way when you try to run them over. It's not good for anything. And then one day, you, you've been playing with your automobile and, and shipping it up and making it better. Uh, and finally, uh, you are able to run over your neighbor. And you say, oh, that was actually easier than when I used my horse. Right? So we might call that automobile supremacy at right? the moment when you realize that this new thing will actually be better than the traditional way. Interesting. Right. And one of my favorite uh, names they had for the early, early names for the car was the uh, horseless carriage. Yeah. Which could go either way. It could be great. I can have a carriage now that doesn't need a horse or it's just a carriage. that doesn't have a horse. It doesn't do much. And just if there. Yeah. <laughs> 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 interesting so how does that relate so so we have a so that maps to quantum computing right. in in the similar sort of ways we use computers for all sorts of things right yeah and we've known for well probably a couple decades that it might be that by using the principles of quantum physics we could build a computer that could be better at certain things than our existing computers but the trick would be to actually demonstrate that right it's easy to imagine computer would be better but can you actually demonstrate it so that announcement of quantum supremacy was a statement that finally someone had done this that is someone had actually used a quantum computer to do something better than a classical computer could do oh and so and that had never been done that's right interesting yep, we've just been talking about it <laughs> just just hanging out so there's another computing revolution a technology revolution coming our way and everyone could get excited about it. And yet, I actually think that there's a lot of things that technology has advanced so far and kind of become so mysterious or, or a little bit difficult to understand that revolutions have happened that we still have yet to appreciate. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, there's the sense in which a really successful revolution makes itself invisible. Because it's because it's so thorough <laughs> and changes our life so dramatically that we don't even remember what it was like before that. Right? 
Um, and that's like, you know, like pants were surely an extraordinary revolution when they were first invented. And for a few years, everybody was really excited. Like, Check out my pants. These are great <laughs> pants. Um, but now the, the pants revolution has been so overwhelmingly complete that it's hard to imagine something different. In fact, the pants were so great that women, you know, the men were like keeping it for themselves. Oh, totally. As, as men usually do when I think. Exactly. Of, yeah. So th this is clearly a great thing. And then uh, women had to fight. They had, there was the women pants revolution, which I think we lived through. That has now been achieved. So at least in our country. Uh, and so here's the thing. We don't appreciate. Let me say we don't appreciate. We don't understand. And I'm speaking strictly for myself. How the heck does a regular computer work? I can't get excited about a quantum computer. <laughs> <laughs> when you don't know what the new it's thing. like oh great quantum so it's like even weirder than the thing i use every day that i don't understand at all what's going on and and the funny thing is the idea of a faster computer i think that most people's experience of computers is not that they get faster but that they get slower <laughs> that's right over time yeah yeah but that's uh, again one of these these things where computers have gotten so good that we forget. I mean, you you and I are both old enough to remember when downloading one JPEG might take six hours, right? <laughs> hours. Or to load a program, you would uh, start loading and go make yourself a sandwich and come back an hour later and then you're ready to play Mist or whatever, right? Um, uh, and nowadays, we're just so used to computers being amazing that the slightest delay we get cranky about right in fact the jpeg itself is a good example it's like a jpeg which is a compressed image had to be invented because computers could not handle a regular photograph that's right it was just too too gigantic too much in, in, information and so what we're going to do today is we talked about fantastic voyage and we're going on a very fantastic voyage today what the if We could go inside a classical computer. So put on your ball gowns and tuxedos and your white gloves. Actually, you might. we're going to be around exposed electrical circuits, so you might oh. not want anything flowy like a ball gown. <laughs> okay. So like Lycra and yoga pants might be better. What if it was a mylar? Um, uh, even worse, because mylar is conductive. So. Oh, oh, what's that? What what is that then? What, what do they make of those electrostatic wrist guards? Oh well, those are yeah, those are um, but those are that's yeah, complicated. You're right, it's connected to. <laughs> you don't want to be wearing that. You're right. Okay, so no gowns. Put on your pants. Put on your pants. There you go. Yeah, put on your mm -hmm. pants and uh, gloves and all protective gear. Maybe we do we need to maybe rubber. We need to be dressed fully yep, rubber in rubber. Would be fine. We just encase ourselves in, in rubber. Yeah. So we are wearing our rubber suits, which is a whole nother what the if. Which is a whole other what the if. Which is, where did we get these rubber suits from? <laughs> and leads us to a different kind of fantastic voyage. Yes, that's right. Which we'll save for what another time. If, what the if after dark. And we're going to go inside a classical computer. Now, uh, those who know what, a, what it means to say classical versus quantum, uh, they know, they understand. For those who don't know, what does it mean? I mean, if you ask me 
you know, if you know nothing and all you know, all you hear are these words, classical versus quantum, I would say, give me classical because that sounds very elegant. Well, and I say, and that's what you've got, right? So we're talking to each other right now via classical computers. Any computer you use is a classical computer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So everything from your laptop um, to your Xbox to your smart refrigerator are all sort of regular computers, right? And even a phone, uh, phone computer, uh, mobile, like iPhone. Yeah, your mobile phone, exactly, right? All it's of still these classical. Are, are classical computers. And exactly what that is one of these things where you don't need to call it. Everyone's saying, I've never heard a call to classical computer. Yeah. And that's because you don't need to have a term like classical until you have the new thing. Like like new Coke. Exactly. Right. Otherwise, it would just be Coke. So everything was just Coke until new Coke showed up. So similarly, until people start thinking about quantum computers, there's no reason to have a term classical computer. But now we do need that. Now there's new Coke. And classic Coke. Um, Not and... classical Coke. See, that's probably why. <laughs> yeah. The, the kind of computer that we're using and we're referring to as, as classical computers has a few different sort of theoretical names for the, the principles on which it works. So it's sometimes called a von Neumann computer or a von Neumann machine. Ooh. Uh, after von Neumann, who is uh, one of the, the great mathematicians of the 20th century. What is his first name? John von Neumann. John von Neumann. Von Neumann um, figures out how to use mathematics in all sorts of different branches of science in the 20th. So one of the most important figures for the modern world, even though we don't, um, we might not recognize his name. So sort of helps found modern economics and modern computing, as we're talking about, figures out how to build the hydrogen bomb. Whoa. All kinds of crazy stuff. The invents game theory. Von Neumann has his fingers in like every pie. And where does he live? He's Hungarian and flees the Nazis, um, as many people, many smart people do in the middle of the 20th century, um, and comes to hide out here in the United States. So he's actually in um, the Institute for Advanced Study with Einstein for a while. Oh, wow. Uh, where he does uh, all sorts of calculations. So, for instance, the calculations he does that lead to the hydrogen bomb, he does in a building that is now the kindergarten at the Institute for Advanced Study. <laughs> so that's always a little weird to to walk by and realize that. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> what, what von Neumann was famous for is figuring out how to use mathematics to solve problems that were not obviously mathematical. Uh, like economic problems, for instance, or or games, like right, what's the best way to, to play this game? Uh, it turns out you can model that mathematically. So one of the things he tries to do is figure out how can I break down sort of any given problem you give me into a series of mathematical calculations? Because I'm really good at mathematical calculations. So let's figure out you know how widely I can do these sorts of things. Some of these things are pretty straightforward. So you can turn you know, mathematical operations. So you can turn multiplication into addition. No problem. And then uh, what you the, the the huge move is to figure out how to turn logical statements and operations into purely mathematical ones. Uh, like, yeah. So for instance, if um, everybody probably got a little bit of this back in high school math at some point where you learn basic logic. 
and the 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 elemental tools of logic are statements like and or or and or if but all those sorts of statements and that's how you make sort of sophisticated conclusions about things is everything is some kind of chain of those sorts of reasonings Ever, so what one simple example of that um I mean, it reminds me of a Google search. Well, that's right. So a Google search would just be a fancy version of this. This is called Boolean logic, after named after George Boole. It's a particular way of sort of structuring our thinking about things. And what Boolean logic tries to do, like I said, use these kind of conditional statements to decide whether or not a given claim or idea is true or false. That's the, that's the goal at the end of the day. So if it's something like, is what the if recording today, it has to be Philip's internet is working and Matt's internet is working. And then we can lay on other conditional statements like if Philip's cat does not sit on the keyboard, <laughs> then recording will happen. Currently true. That returns are true. <laughs> so it turns out our brains are pretty good at evaluating those sorts of logical systems. Uh -huh. But von Neumann wonders whether you can do that automatically, right? Can you build a machine that will do that kind of reasoning for you? Our brain seems to do it so well and so intuitively and innately that it doesn't even seem like, well, yeah. What's I mean, obviously, okay, what's what's the big deal? Right. Right. Yeah. Obviously, they're both their computers need to be working and whatnot. But what we're saying is this is an age where computing is very new. Uh, that's right. So the this this general idea of trying to figure out how to create a, a machine that can do this kind of reasoning goes back to Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace, actually, in the early 19th century. Um, but they never really successfully build a machine um, that can do it. It's, it's just kind of a parlor trick. But by the time von Neumann is around, there are mechanical computers, what we think was calculators, um, where you, you, kind of t you literally turn a crank and it will add up the numbers you want or something like that. But von Neumann, so this is the 1930s where we're talking about here. Uh, von Neumann and others have the idea that, well, maybe if we can do this with an electrical machine, that is, use electricity instead of gears, then the calculations could happen much faster. Uh, and, and let me just, so to clarify, it sounds like to build a machine that does mathematics, just for instance, simple math, mm -hmm. is fairly easy. Is no big deal. Right? Right. For instance, the abacus, you don't even need mm -hmm. a machine necessarily. Yeah, right? it's all, that's all the same principle, right? It's a mechanical thing. The trick that sort of makes modern computing possible is figuring out how to make these more complicated logical statements into simple mathematical statements that a machine can then process. This is, it, basically, this is like one first step on the road to having a computer that what we would call, what we would say is a computer that can think. Well, that's right. This is is um, this is the the this is the problem. Is can you break down complicated thinking of the sort that humans do into simple mechanical interactions that you can build a machine to do? And the answer turns out to be sometimes right. Uh, but this is this is von Neumann's big idea: is can I 
can I figure out how to sort of a general principle of reducing any kind of logical statement to these simple and if not but then in type interactions that a machine could do. So he theorizes that essentially anything could be any kind of conceptual move, any kind of thinking, uh, any kind of problem could be could in principle be reduced to these simple mathematical operations. And you could design what comes to be called a universal computer. Uh, so a universal computer is one that can be programmed to solve any of these sorts of mathematical problems. And therefore, hopefully, anything, right? If you can figure out how to translate it into these simple logical statements. Basically, what it's saying is, uh, I want a computer that can think, let's say, a computer that can make decisions. That can, that can do anything, is, what you, is the thing about it, as, as opposed to a purpose-built computer, oh, which wow. is what it would have had to be before. So it used to be that if you wanted a machine that could add, you had to build a machine that could add. Done. <laughs> but it can't do anything else. Um, so von Neumann says, well, I'll bet we can, if we, could, if we can build a computer that can do just these few simple operations and program it in the right way, then in principle, it could solve any, any problem we give it. Wow. So basically, what he's, he's looking at how we think. What, what I'm trying to get to is that even the phrase logical statements, I, I think a lot of people might just not understand what that is. And really, it's sort of saying, you think in a certain way, you want to do something. Your brain, you have a thought, you want to do something, and you want to do it in the best way possible. You have to make some decision about how you're going to do it. It could be super basic, like, what am I going to drink this morning? What mug am I going to use? Or it could be very complicated, like, uh, you know, what career should I choose or something? What major should I choose, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. What These logical statements, is so, so it sounds like von Neumann is saying, you can take any question that you can ask, anything you would ask as a person, and if you can then create a, turn that, into like in your mind in a way you would say you have to turn it into a sentence yeah a logical sentence that's a good way to think about it and then he says if i can create a machine that can then look at a sentence and understand it basically what he's saying in order to do that is can i convert a sentence into a mathematical thing simply because a machine works using math in some ways right yeah, or just, that's right. Yeah, okay yeah, yeah that's uh, yes i think you're you're right on that's exactly the way to, to think about it the 1930s of course lead into world war ii when people like von neumann are working very hard to defeat the the fascist powers and one of the things they try to do is figure out can i use these new electrical computers to solve some of these kinds of problems uh, one of the sort of first great demonstrations of this is the so-called Battle of the Atlantic, right? Nazi submarines are trying to sink the uh, ships bringing troops and supplies to the European theater of war. The Nazis are doing a good job of it. That is, it's becoming very hard to supply Britain because it's hard to track down submarines. And this is traditionally thought of, this, uh, this is approached as a strategic problem, right? So you go talk to the admirals, the sort of people with experience of fighting ships, and they use their intuition and experience of fighting to decide the right way to hunt down the submarines. And they keep failing. So von Neumann's like, well, maybe I can turn this into a math problem. 
So he says, let's figure out the logical statements that govern whether I can find a submarine that's trying to hide from me. And then I'll give my computer that logical statement and tell it, find me the quickest way to solve this to the best way to find this submarine just using these logical operations. So they, it works. They, they, it spits out an answer. It says, well, you should have your, put your convoys this far apart and time them in this particular way. Well, send out your, your aircraft in this way. And von Neumann says, look, I've got the math. Do this. Try it this way. And it works. <laughs> and very quickly, the, the submarine wolf packs are defeated and we win the Battle of the Atlantic. And von Neumann like, is able to point to this to say, this is the power of mathematics. Uh, if we can just figure out how to reduce all of our problems <laughs> to these logical statements, then these new electronic computers can just crank out the answer for us. So basically, they're like uh, uh, the the Admiralty, the Navy is like, uh, we're getting killed out there in the ocean. What can we do? And von Neumann says, well, there's an app for that. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and I should say, when he says there's an app for that, he means there is a building size computer. Right. So I want to stress here that when um, these are machines like ENIAC that are literally 100 yards on a side, right? They're the size of a, a city block. Oh, wow. The size of a city block. Yeah. So these are, so this is where we get to go inside, fantastic voyage style, is that in von Neumann's time, this would not have been a big deal because, of course, you walk inside in a computer. How else could you make it work? Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's extraordinary. So if you when you walk inside um, these early electronic computers, the units that sort of make it work would be um, vacuum tubes. Okay, Um, And you can probably visualize these in your head from like old sci fi movies and things. Looks kind of like a light bulb, but sort of the size of your hand. Each of these. These vacuum tubes performs one of these logical operations we've been talking about. So there's an AND tube. So there's sort of three pins for an AND tube. And there's two inputs and one outputs. If there's an electrical current going in both of the inputs, then that fulfills the AND condition. A and B are both lit up. And if that's then if that's the case, the vacuum tube puts out electricity on the third pin. Uh, okay. And, and let's just clarify for those who it, it is kind of amazing to me. There probably are quite a few younger people who don't know what a vacuum tube is. And those who, those of us who do know what a vacuum tube is, we get a very cozy feeling. Uh, yes, sorry, because we probably associate them with like old radios and things. That's right. right? That's right. Yeah. And so it, 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 yeah, it looks like a light bulb. It, it's a, like a glass. It's like a long, usually cylinder. So instead of a light bulb, which kind of has like a round or teardrop shape, yeah. the vacuum tube is sort of a long, straight thing of glass. And inside is a, a filament. Like it does glow like a light It'll, bulb. That's right. It's a series of wires. When it's in use, there's electricity flowing through it, so it glows like a light bulb and gets hot. This is actually turns out to be a, an important thing. But so what uh, what it is is you some person, some electrical engineer, lays down the wires in such a way that 
the vacuum tube only puts out electricity if both of the wires coming in also have electricity. Right. So that creates that's so that's a physical instantiation of the and operation that Neumann needs. So literally, you're getting electricity from this wire and you're and you're getting electricity from this wire. And if you are, then you will send electricity out this third wire to set to tell somebody I I'm getting it from both sides. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then you also have one that's that does the or operation. Uh, so if you get electricity in either of those two inputs, then it puts electricity into the output. Ah, uh, is that also a three pin thing? That would be. Yep, this this one would be. Yeah. Right. So the the point I want to make is that the vacuum tube is a, a physical uh, instantiation of the logical statements that von Neumann needs to make his ideas run. So a logical, remember, as you said before, it's a logical sentence. So a series of ands and ors and ifs that get you to your answer. And then what the electronic computer does is you just take the physical tubes and connect them together in the same way that the logical statement is organized. So sort of mentally, you process the information through the logical statement, but now the machine is processing the electricity through the physical versions of those logical elements. And then at the end of that series of tubes, the light goes on, true, or stays off, false. And to be clear, the, the, the reason we're using electricity for all this is because it's incredibly fast. Uh, yes, that's right. So previously, people had tried, like Babbage tried to do it with a series of physical gears and screws. And that turns out to be really difficult because gears wear down and clash and jam. If there's a piece of dirt in there, it doesn't work. Um, so electricity is much more reliable than that. In the, Going back to the example of, well, are we recording today? If one of the first questions is, well, is Matt's computer uh, online? Mm -hmm. And is my computer online? It would be as if your computer sent out electricity on a wire when it was online. So your computer went yep. online, and among all the different things it was doing, there was one wire that just went out, uh, that some electricity got turned on on this particular wire that said, by the way, I'm, I'm working today. And it goes to a vacuum tube. And mine does the same thing. So I'm now online. And so this vacuum tube will only send out a signal from itself to someone to somewhere else if it's getting electricity from both those conditions in a way oh matt's computer's on my computer's on it sends out a signal that says yes they are if either one of those were not true in other words if if it was only getting electricity from your computer then it would not light up and so we would say it's false yeah. There you go. The extraordinary thing about these new electronic computers is that you can rearrange them to solve different problems. So in modern terms, we would say you write a new program for it. What is what comes to be called a von this universal computer or a von Neumann machine is one that can do all of the basic logical operations. And then you tell it how to assemble those logical operations to solve whatever problem it is you want it to do. So that's the universal aspect of it. 
So do these have programs? These well, that's a good question. So that's right. In modern terms, telling the computer how to rearrange its logic circuits is a program. We call that software these days. In the old days, you, uh, you had to physically connect these different vacuum tubes, these different operators to each other. So inside the computer, there, remember this is a, a building size computer, you would walk inside and there would be these fantastic number of cables and wires stretching from place to place. If you wanted an AND statement connected to an OR statement, you would have to take your AND tube and plug a wire into it and then plug the other end of the wire into your OR tube and connect all these things in these fantastically complicated ways. You know, step one is you sort of conceptually decide what the logic statement should look like. And then you have to figure out how to physically arrange the parts of the computer to represent that in a physical way. You being uh, uh, someone wearing a white coat, probably, for some reason, inevitably, (laughs) and you are the one who has to write the sentence. You you are the one, the human has to convert the question, the human question, into a logic form, create, create the com- sentence that the computer will then run. You have to do that yourself, and you do that by kind of acting like, a, like uh, the switchboard telephone operator. Yep, that's right. The metaphor is exact. But to program these computers, you have to actually physically go inside. Right? It's like a, a switchboard where you're connecting the, the cables from side to side. And the switchboard metaphor is pretty exact. Uh, so when you visualize an old-timey switchboard, who are the people actually working it? Who do you imagine? Dudes. Really? Yeah, so usually the image would be like sort of middle-aged woman wearing a headset. Oh, it, oh, for a telephone, for a telephone operator, yes, yes, yes. That was true for these early electronic computers. So in the 1940s, the people who actually climbed inside the computer to connect things were women. And this is because uh, women were thought to be better at doing tedious tasks, right? This is why you hired for switchboards as well. Uh, so John von Neumann never climbed inside one of these computers, right? He's not going to get his hand. He's a mathematician. He sits around and thinks about ideas. And then the people who actually make things, actually make it happen, are typically the underpaid women who get no credit for it, right? We call them von Neumann machines instead of actually naming it after the the women who do the work. And we should say, I should say, we get a little hint of this in the wonderful uh, movie Hidden Figures and the the book as well. I remember one of the characters uh, is is of the of the first people to figure out how to set up an electronic computer. At NASA, right? And that's a great place to to leave it because this is uh, this is going to be, and we haven't done this in a long time, a multi part if. And I'm pretty psyched about this because, like, this is something I I really this is, I feel like something that's so familiar to us, and yet we don't really understand what's going on. Yeah. Keep your white coat on. <laughs> we are going to stay inside this machine for a week. When we come back. We are going to continue the adventure of being inside the von Neumann machine, which is actually run by women. Yes. What would, what would you call? Would is there a different, a better name you would call it instead of a von Neumann machine, a more inclusive name? 
well, that's the ladies' question. room. Actually, the ladies' room. <laughs> nah, because we don't want to actually uh, discriminate, right? Right. Universal computer is pretty great. Yeah, universal computers is probably pretty pretty expansive. Or oh, the nice, warm, cozy vacuum tube room. Yeah, it does get hot in there. Yeah, yeah. So, you, but and yet you still have to keep that white coat on because we have back in this era we we are maintain our dignity and our dress code. Next week, the continuation of our fantastic voyage inside the universal computer, which will eventually be called the classical computer, will be wheeling in a grand piano <laughs> yes, <laughs> into the room. And uh, in fact, from this, we will get to the point where actually we will invent computers that can be pianos. Whoa. That's right. Yeah, the, <laughs> the great reversal. Yep. Whoa. Uh, Matt, thank you for bringing us here for getting us or just getting our not getting our feet wet because we would then become electrocuted but bringing us here getting us getting our rubber suits on and inside the computer <laughs> we would love to know your thoughts what would you do inside a universal computer if you could be let run let to roam free for a week inside a universal computer with nobody watching what would you do when we come back what would we find any any questions you have questions thoughts comments ideas for ifs you can write to us at feedback at what the if.com we are also on twitter at what the if show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you're listening to. When we look towards the future, to what may come next week, to what will happen on our fantastic voyage, the number of vacuum, there's so many vacuum tubes in here, and each one of those vacuum tubes is a possibility, right? Yeah. Okay. In a way, each cozy, warm vacuum tube leads to a totally different future as we might later say in the quantum age. And the idea of all those possibilities and all these awesome telephone-like patch cables. <laughs> There's so many of them. When we think of how many different places we could plug in these wires and what might happen if we do, we cannot help but be horrified. And our simple mind, whether it's classical or quantum or meat or wetware, is totally overloaded and we are forced to scream what the, the if, 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 if.